Shalom Aleichem from the Yiddish Book Center. I'm Josh Lambert. I'm speaking today with Peter Manso, who is the author of a memoir, Vows, the prize-winning novel, Songs for the Butcher's Daughter, and most recently, the travelogue, Rag and Bone. He was a founding editor of the website, KillingTheBuddha.com. Uh, Peter, I'm, I'm very excited to be speaking to you today. Thanks for having me on. I'm really glad to be back in touch with the Book Center uh, when I'm there and also just uh, virtually this way. Um, you've had a very interesting uh, relationship with the Center uh, going on more than a decade now. And I, I'm curious, how did you first come in contact with the Yiddish Book Center? Well, it, it's a long story. Uh, my first contact with the Book Center was when I was a student at University of Massachusetts in Amherst, just down the road from the Book Center. And I was, I was studying religion and literature at the time. And so I, 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 was, I was becoming a student of what I considered at the time biblical languages. So um, I, I had done Greek. Uh, I also had gone back and redone my high school Latin. And it seemed natural to then take Hebrew. Uh, UMass has a good Hebrew language program. And so I would spend my time up on the, um, on the floor uh, where they were offering Hebrew classes, and I would see these very evocative posters for the Yiddish Book Center. I think they were posters for the summer internship program, uh, which, uh, having had no contact prior to this with Jewish culture, I didn't understand what I was really seeing in this artwork that they used for the posters, but they were sort of Chagallish images of, of the shtetl. And they were just really, uh, they just drew me in. And I, I knew nothing about Yiddish at that point, but my Hebrew was coming along. I was about to graduate from college, and so I just applied for an internship at the book center, really on a whim, uh, and also because I had no other job prospects. <laughs> and I was uh, lucky enough to, to receive the internship for that summer after I graduated from UMass. And what I found there was really something that I had been looking for without realizing it. I was raised in a religious household, but not Jewish religious household, a very Catholic household. And yet for me, somehow it just didn't take. Um, I I felt myself uh, immersed in a particular religious culture and working as someone who was thinking about being a writer, working with a certain set of, uh, with a religious vocabulary, I guess. And yet I wasn't finding a place in my own tradition that you could explore religious ideas without necessarily being a believer. And so what I was startled to find within Yiddish culture was, uh, was a whole literature that, a deal, that deals exactly with that question. What does it mean to be part of a religious community if you are leaving some parts of it behind? So that's what really drew me into first Yiddish literature and then the culture in general. And so you spent that summer as an intern at the center. What kinds of work were you doing? Did, were you studying Yiddish at all? Were you helping with the book projects? We were studying Yiddish uh, as interns. I think that there were, there were probably 10 of us, and we spent a summer there. Most, most students came just for the summer to Amherst, but I was already here. Uh, and we learned Yiddish in the morning, and then we uh, shelved books through the afternoon. I think we went on book collecting trips. We'd all pile into a van and go down to um, go down to New York and uh, meet elderly Jews who were donating their books to the center and uh, and work long hot hot sweaty days <laughs> moving Yiddish books really getting the physical sense of uh, of what the culture created and bringing it back to to the book center working not only in in the center where you are now but also in the warehouse in Holyoke where for many years the bulk of the collection was and really getting a real physical sense for this, the, the magnitude of this, of this culture that um, I and I think my fellow interns didn't really realize uh, existed until we were there um, among the books. 
Okay, so fast forward to some years later. I, I'm not sure how, about a decade passed. And it, did you, when did you begin thinking of writing fiction uh, about the center or, or based sort of in that setting um, and drawing on the experiences you had? Wh- when did that idea of writing fiction about it come to you? Well, when I left the book center, uh, I, I moved out to the Berkshires in western Massachusetts, and that was my time when I first really thought of myself trying to be a writer. And I would also work odd jobs. I worked as a carpenter or uh, a house-building crew and as a handyman. And the first time I started writing about, about Yiddish, I, I can remember I was on a lunch break at, on this house-building crew I was working on in, in western Massachusetts. And we were working outside in the winter, and I was just sitting outside eating my sandwich and I, uh, during a lunch break. And I can remember just jotting down some lines about a Yiddish poet on my, on my paper bag uh, that, my, that my, I had brought my lunch in. And I was really drawn at the time, because I was working these, these long manual labor hours, I was drawn to the image of the sweatshop poet, um, the, the Yiddish writers who in the early part of the 20th century would work 12-hour days in the garment industry and somehow go home and find a way to write poetry. Uh, not always very good poetry, but still making a place for art in, this, in these lives of poverty and, and drudgery. I guess I identified with that somewhat at the time, and so that planted the seed that I wanted to write about uh, about Yiddish culture, about what I had encountered there. The idea of, of writing um, writing about my own experiences with it came a bit later. I, I wrote a memoir, a very Catholic memoir called Vows, and after I, while I was writing it, it seemed natural because it, it also tells something of my own coming of age as someone who thinks about religion and writes about it. It seemed natural that I would include some part of my Jewish education in, in that book, but it just didn't seem to fit because the, the book was really about me dealing with my, my family's Catholic uh, history. And so after that book came out, uh, I was even asked uh, on a number of occasions, well, where's the Jewish part of your memoir? Because I know uh, the people I spoke to, they knew that my time at the book center had been so formative to me. Uh, and I just sort of had to... Um, think about why I didn't write about it, what there was to say about my time uh, in Jewish America, which I came to think of as my, my foreign exchange experience. And uh, I, I thought about briefly writing about, writing about it just as a first-person account, my time as a, as a Yiddish book collector. Uh, because after the internship, I should say, I worked for the Book Center for a number of years, and my main job for a while was being the Yiddish book collector. I would drive the truck the Book Center had at the time um, up and down, the East Coast, um, and picking up Yiddish books, having a lot of experiences that everyone who has worked with the center ha- has had. And I thought I would just write about my, expense, my adventures as a goy in Yiddish land. Uh, but then I realized that that was sort of, that was limited, and it wouldn't really get into, it wouldn't allow me to explore what I really found most fascinating about the culture. And the way to do that, I realized, would be to write a novel, to write it in the voice of someone who not only loved literature, but someone who was trying to create the literature. And so that's how I came up with my, the protagonist of my novel, Itzik Malpesh, uh, my fictional Yiddish poet. And I wanted to ask about the, the work of research and imagination that went into creating Malpesh's voice. Uh, it strikes me that it's a, a staggeringly ambitious endeavor to want to write a novel about a poet. It's hard enough as a young writer to imagine yourself a poet, to imagine yourself an author in the first place, but to imagine yourself into the head of another more practiced writer uh, has a kind of intensity to it, challenge to it, 
that I, that I think is, uh, in a sense, very impressive. Um, and it, it struck me too that there's a way in which uh, the the vo- the two voices in the novel uh, parallel each other and complement each other so well that some of the uh, literary inspirations that Malpesh draws on are the same sources that the translator figure in the novel turns to to educate himself about the culture. So I'm curious, you know, are there particular sources that stand out as the most useful ones for creating Malpesh's voice or particular acts of imagination that you remember being necessary to render him on the page? Well, I mentioned I was drawn for a time to these sweatshop poets, Tom, poets like Morris Rosenfeld, um, who, who would really write these these laments of, of the plight of uh, Jewish poverty, uh, Jewish immigrant poverty in New York in, in the early part of the 20th century. And I, I, I was drawn to him, probably the, he was probably the first Yiddish poet I read. And one thing I liked about him, and this may sound strange, I, I liked that he wasn't a very good poet. <laughs> to me, it made him all the more poignant uh, that he would spend so much time writing these verses that when read with modern eyes, um, they're maudlin. Um, they're um, uh, they're sentimental. Uh, it's just a bit much, and so I, I like that. And, and when I decided I was going to create a Yiddish poet, I decided early on that I wanted to make a, a bad Yiddish poet. <laughs> I wanted to make someone who it, I, we wouldn't we wouldn't be interested in him in him because of the quality of his work. We would be interested in, in him because of the life that he lived uh, and the world that he came from and what he could tell us ab- about that. And so that was a decision I made early on, and I think that made it made the project of writing the life of a poet much easier. I didn't need to create wonderful poetry that would make us think well of him. <laughs> in fact, I, it allowed me to have some fun writing his somewhat um, his, his very mediocre poetry. In fact, so I, I drew on on um, those sorts of poets, the sweatshop writers, for inspiration. But I also there are poets who I think are are, are great talents within Yiddish, and I. I liked um, I liked rereading some of their works and to try to bring that bring those voices uh, to him as influences. So he would occasionally try to emulate a poet like Moshe Leib Halpern, who is one of my favorite Yiddish poets, uh, and, and others who were doing great creative things with the language. And so my my research was really just trying to read myself into those poems, into those poets' lives. And so I would also read, of course, the, the scholarship that's been done on those poets. Um, Ruth Weiss's Little Love in Big Manhattan was a great inspiration for the book, for example. Uh, just any source that would allow me to see something of the lives that they might have lived. Absolutely. And and an amazing thing about the novel is the way that it it introduces a reader to so many periods, to so many uh, different kinds of anecdotes, different stories that... that uh, you piece together from so many of of those kinds of uh, historical and biographical and literary scholarship sources. Yeah, someone told me a friend of mine read it who is who knows his way around Yiddish literature. He thought it was the greatest hits of Yiddish literature, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I took that as a compliment because that's what I w- I was trying to um, I was trying to convey what I found so fascinating about the literature and the culture, and really that's what each of my my books has in common. I. I I write a book to find out why am I, I'm so obsessed with something. You know, my, my memoir, uh, Vows, is about my parents. My, my father, a Roman Catholic priest. My mother was a nun when they met. And I always, my, my siblings did not grow up with this obsession about their past, wanting to understand these decisions that these people had made that, our, that made our life possible. They just took it for granted. 
And so I needed to write a book to understand my own obsession about it, to understand why I thought their story would tell a bigger story and would appeal to others outside of our family. And so with the novel, I, I needed to, to write the book to understand why I, someone who has no religious or ethnic or cultural connection to Jewish culture, uh, why it became such a part of, of the way I think about telling stories, the way, why I wanted to be a writer. And uh, I, I think through writing the, the book, I explained that to myself, and I also hoped, I hoped that it would explain to readers whether they knew something about Yiddish or, or nothing at all, it would open up the culture a little bit as well. And one of the ironies, too, is that in writing these books, you entrench yourself further in those connections and in those searches, I imagine. You know, it's, it, uh, I wanted to ask you how it felt as a, so to speak, card-carrying non-Jew to win uh, a handful of Jewish book prizes uh, and appear at awards dinners and to go on tour and speak at Jewish community centers. Uh, did you do you find that the audiences know what to do with you? Are you a curiosity, or do you feel that they're um, uh, somehow more uh, receptive uh, to your telling them this history that they've neglected uh, than they might be to someone else? I'm curious uh, what kind of experiences you've had uh, with with those audiences. Well, the the way the the Jewish reading community has taken taken uh, up the the cause of, of songs for the butcher's daughter has been a great. Um, joy and validation for me. I, I, the book came out more than four years ago now. Well, I guess just going on four years ago, and I, I, I continue to, to travel around and speak about it at Jewish community centers and find new audiences, and people still seem to respond to it, and I still get the same kinds of, of, of responses, such as the, the characters, my main characters, Isaac Melpesh and, and Sasha Bimko, that they remind people of their grandparents. And I, I've even been asked... Uh, as you know, the, the book is set up as a translation of Itzik Malfesh's memoirs. So I've even been asked on more than one occasion, well, how can I read the original notebook? And uh, it's been a real... Uh, that, that was my greatest concern writing this book, that it, it would be dismissed as inauthentic simply because of who I was. And that has not been the case at all. In fact, quite the opposite. And, and I do think I've had uh, an easier time talking about the book than, than others might who who other, um, and let's say just a, a young Jewish novelist who might write the same story might not have it be received in the same way, because there is the curiosity factor, I think. Um, I, when I go on the Jewish book circuit, for example, I'm one of the very, one of the very few non-Jews there. <laughs> and so it, uh, it, it creates this, an opening to the conversation, I think, which any book needs and, and deserves. So I've been very grateful all of that, and and thus far, it's uh, well with my other books. I've I've written the obsession out of me. I don't need to write another Catholic book by any means. Um, but I, with this subject, it it has remained its it has maintained its hold on my imagination. And so I I am, for example, finishing up a dissertation at Georgetown right now. And Georgetown is not the best place to write about Yiddish culture, but I am writing a Yiddish themed dissertation, and I. I'm hoping that this will be the this will be the project that actually puts it behind me, and I can go on to, to do other things. The, the great wish for for dissertations is always yeah that they will they will find their place, and then one can leave them behind and never think about them again. <laughs> yeah. um, but I did want to ask you, uh, and I and I'm I'm uh, fascinated to hear that the scholarly work you're doing now uh, returns to some of these subjects. I, you know, I was curious to to know because you have interest in. 
a, a wide range of fields, but obviously with connections between them. Are there ways that you can uh, put your finger on that your exposure to Yiddish culture, your interest in Yiddish culture has influenced you when you're writing about religion more broadly or when you're writing about culture more broadly? Are there moments in your day when you're dealing with uh, other subjects uh, that you feel that this has somehow led you to, to uh, uh, new insights or to um, new perspectives that you might not otherwise have had? Oh, definitely. I, you know, I try to keep up with, um, with Jewish studies and Yiddish culture scholarship, and I'm particularly drawn to the work of, uh, of uh, Jeffrey Chandler, whose um, who's, who's one book I know is about this, this post-vernacular idea, that Yiddish is a post-vernacular language, in the sense that when one uses Yiddish, or when, when two American Jews speak Yiddish to each other, they obviously would have an easier time communicating in English. So what does it mean when they use a language? Uh, it, which is secondary to them. What is, what is the purpose of using a language um, that may not be your, your, the best way to communicate? And what, what Chandler says is that Yiddish has become a post-vernacular language in the sense that it's, it's now a, a performative language. And so when two people speak Yiddish together, in, in almost any circumstance, they are communicating something to themselves through the performance of the language as well as to anyone who might overhear them. Uh, anyone who might overhear them, they're telling them, ah, Yiddish is still alive and here we are speaking it. Uh, to themselves, they're saying, we are in this together. And I, I've really been drawn to that idea of the post-vernacular, thinking about religion generally, thinking about the ways in which um, what we talk about, what we talk about religion is talking about this, this post-vernacular. Um, because we no longer live in Christendom, for example, when we can take for granted that um, that the person you're speaking to is going to believe something about the, the divinity of Jesus Christ, for example. And so when we get together and talk in religious terms, it is, there is this element of, of performance about it. And that's, open, that's really served as a lens to me, thinking and, and writing about religion generally, both in my academic work and in my occasional work as a journalist, trying to understand the performative element, um, the performative element of, of religious expression, which is performed not just for the participants, but also for the outside world. And so that's something that I don't think I would have really thought much about had I not spent so, so much time thinking about Yiddish and, and considering the way it's used today. Well, I have to say that I think we're running out of time, unfortunately, but I would love to hear more about uh, the dissertation you're working on. But I, I'd say that uh, when you're finished with it and you can put it behind you, maybe we'll uh, talk again and, and you can tell us all about the work uh, you did on that because I'm sure uh, our audience would be uh, very, very interested to hear um, how you've brought this now to a new uh, scholarly project. Um, all right. Well, that's, 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 I will take you up on that invitation. I, I hope so. Thanks so much, Peter, for speaking to me today. Um, this has been a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. For additional interviews and conversations, please visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org slash audio. Our producer is Emma Morgenstern. I'm Josh Lambert. Zymir, stark and gesund. Be strong, be well, and tune in again soon. Mm-hmm.